Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Lovely Gemma Graham on my screen in front of me. Dr. Gemma Graham, sorry. Oh, how dare you? I worked hard for that. No. I've been thinking very carefully about how to introduce you today. So obviously you are the stunningly amazing, marvellous Dr. James P. Ravenhill. But I also, you've got another accolade now, James. What is you it? You're now a Steps super fan. <gasps> I am. Now, Gemma, how did you find out about my Step Super fandom? Did I tell you about it? I'll tell you exactly what you did. You screenshotted it, you put a circle around it and went, OMG, look at this. And I thought, how on earth do you even become a super fan of Steps? Please tell me. Right. I'm just going to find out. The, I'm just going to look for the picture. So, <clears throat> sorry, I've got a bit of a uh, frog in my throat. I got this uh, notification on Facebook the other day and it says... You have been recognised as one of Steps' top fans. <laughs> Get your badge now. I think it's because, I don't know if Facebook is linked to YouTube, but basically I've been playing their new record on repeat. It's on great. YouTube. Oh my, it's, the, uh, do you know what? I know, oh, I think we're allowed to play a little sample of it. Oh yeah, of course we are. Because even when this goes on, um, you know, when this goes viral, this podcast... Um, you know, here we go. I mean, Amazing. that is a tune. Did you like my mum dancing there? Do you know what? Your mum dancing was only marginally better than my granddad dancing. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Steps is, obviously, we were fans back in the day. And I saw them recently because you have been going on about this song. So I watched it on YouTube. They look amazing. They look amazing. What is their secret? I think they've been cryogenically frozen and thawed out <laughs> and they've not aged which one do you think do you know i think faye is just looking oh. uh, i mean and for what i never ever 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 used fancy lee but he looks really nice in that video yes he's he's really coming out of himself and i really liked it in uh, the first so you know they released what the future holds in september yeah. so that was like their first release of this new album and he got his first verse. So he was actually, you know, he got his first verse, I think since five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, big moment. Maybe he's been in like singing lessons since then. <laughs> well, it's taken him 23 years, but he's finally smashed it. <laughs> well, it's brilliant. I, I honestly hope when COVID jogs on that um, you can go and see them. I'm sure they'll do a tour. Yeah, they're touring next November. So um, I'm hoping for standing room only, like standing cheek to jowl with other <laughs> huge fans, with other top Facebook fans. Yeah, so if any um, True Crime Lockdown listeners want to follow Steps on Facebook, you'll probably see me, you know, being oh, a top fan. <laughs> so this is what's amusing. We're in True Crime Lockdown. We're back in lockdown. So the title of our podcast suddenly makes sense again. You know what? That did cross my mind. I did think the 
only good thing to come out of this lockdown is that at least at least we could just record for four straight weeks. And we actually had um, I had an email the other day from a student saying, um, when's the next episode? I'm caught <gasps> up and I need an episode. So I, I'm really glad we're doing this now. It feels like at the right time. Yeah, I so I just um, taught psychology security and one of the students um, asked for a shout out. So I promised I would do it. So her name's Diana and her family are currently in New Zealand. So she's obviously missing them terribly, but she said that she absolutely loves the podcast. So Diana, thank you very much. We're going to record some more episodes in the next couple of weeks. And yeah, just keep being strong. And you've got just, we were talking in, in the seminar that her parents are lucky because they have the best leader in the world, Jacinda Arden, looking after them. So um, yes, thank you, Diana. Talking about, <laughs> um, hi Diana, talking about leaders as we speak. Tell me, what's happened? Biden is ahead in both Georgia and Pennsylvania. Oh my goodness, this has been nuts. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. No, I know, it's absolutely crazy, but I have to say, so on, um, what day was it that I texted you in the morning and I was like, I just can't today. Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah, it was. Because yeah. it was the day after the, um, oh, I know what it was. It was the day after the election, wasn't it, had taken place, Wednesday yeah. the 4th of November. But also, I was I was really worried. My, one of my friends had gone a little bit off the radar. And you know when people go off the radar, yeah. when normally they're communicative, and you're just like... There's something wrong. And I just, yeah. I woke up with that sense of foreboding, that horrible sense of there's something wrong with the world. Mm. And I, I know I texted you and I was just like, I, I just can't today. I just can't get my thoughts straight and all that kind of thing. And I think part of it was because I really was scared that Trump would get back in. And I know it's still a possibility, Absolutely. you know, but now, you know, if Biden does take um, Georgia, I guess by the time people are listening to this, there'll be an answer. But if he yeah. takes Georgia, he'll win. Yeah, so if Biden takes Georgia, Trump can't win. There's not yeah. enough um, electoral college votes. I've been reading up on all of this because their system is completely bananas it's compared so to ours. so crazy. I mean, ours is literally... And um, the other thing I've noticed in America, it is like this massive thing. When you go voting in the UK, you go to some sweaty gym hall in a school or a church, you very quickly vote and you leave. There's no fuss, there's no drama. It's literally like you're going to like an American football game over there when you go to vote. I've never seen anything like it. And I think the bit that really got to me, I mean, people have their own views. We respect that. But the thing that got to me is him, Donald Trump, announcing that he'd won when he wasn't even ahead and all the votes hadn't been counted. And he's now wanting to go to the Supreme Court because he thinks the postal votes are all a fraud. It's astonishing. The crazy thing about kind of living in the in this part of the 21st century seems to be that you can just lie. You can just give false kind of falsities and lie. And it's kind of up to um, the consumer of those lies to go and do our research and, and find out what's what's true and what isn't. And that's just so terrifying that you can just lie. And that, that's just a, a, a means of communication. I mean, Gemma, I think it's psychopathy. I think it's- uh, oh, it's Complete narcissist. And complete narcissism, yeah, terrifying. Um, yeah, so, oh, and by the way, we're not the effing BBC. We can say, no, this is what we think. Of course we can. I, he's, he's a complete, 
Oh, not case. I'm not just going to yeah. say it. He's well, I think the, the word we really want to say is probably the one word that we wouldn't say on this podcast. No, but I think people can probably guess. I think people can probably guess it. It rhymes. No, we're not even going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, right. Uh, Gemma, are you... I, this is a genuine question because I haven't been listening to podcasts for a few days. Uh, well, actually, that's a lie. About two weeks apart from one episode of My Favourite Murder, because I've mm. just felt like my brain's been too... Yeah. You know, I, I love true crime so much, and I listen to a lot of true crime, but every so often, I just have to take a step back from everything. Yeah. No, and I've it's been really same. been about self-preservation. Yeah, no, I've been exactly the same. I actually haven't had time or the energy or the mental space to take any of it in. I've got two... Um, you know, I get my crime monthly magazines. I've got two there that I've not even looked at, I know, it's not like me. You're normally like, day one, here's my new magazine, make a cup of tea or a gin and tonic, go and read. I know. Well, the thing is, I, you know, I looked at the front covers I sent you because I saw um, the West Memphis Three. So I don't know if anyone is aware of this case, but this is, this is a case from quite a while ago in America um, where three lads were accused of killing three young boys um, and the trial and everything was well documented. Um, and eventually they were released, but there is a new suspect. So after all these years, I, so I've not read it, so I'm not going to give you any information at the moment, but I sent you the photo of that, just going, I can't read it now. Oh my God. And so I've just had to put everything on hold, which I hate doing because it keeps, I don't know, I don't know how the sentence makes sense, but <laughs> true crime keeps me sane. It gives me a break from everything. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm like you. I, I have managed to watch, um, the new series of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. So did you get did you get a chance to see that? I'm too, oh, we've watched, I think we've watched two. We watched, um, oh, can I just say, right? Yeah. Um, I've noticed that the order of the episodes is different from, for us than it is for other people. And it's also different depending on which TV we watch it on. So if I, if I watch it down here, if I watch it in my lounge on my big kind of telly in my big, yeah. Um, it's in a certain order but if I just um, kind of faffing around upstairs and just want it on in the background in a TV upstairs the order's different so when people are like oh my god I love episode four for example for me that's like episode something so I watched our first episode was the oh crikey oh our second episode was that we watched the death row one yes West oh no that was our first episode our first episode was the death row one and then in a second episode, I think I watched something about a kid that went missing, but I can't yeah. remember. Two boys from New York City. Yeah. Oh, That's my the last God. episode, yeah. That was horrible. And that, that, I always find it really quite extraordinary when they do the composites, when they age them and what they look like now. They did that with the Madeleine McCann case as well. So, yeah. So crazy that they, you know, these lads were like, thir uh, sorry, two years old or 18 months old. And now they're going to be like in their early 30s and they they did this aged composite thing. And I'm like, yeah. wow, that's amazing. Yeah. The people I actually thought, you know, if you if you're an artist and creative and you're interested in forensic science, what a fantastic. I actually don't know much about the science behind the aged um aged efit kind of thing. So it'd be mm -hmm. really interesting to know um how uh, reliable or um I suppose that's the wrong word how valid those pictures are and how yeah I mean I don't know a lot either I know they do look at photos of other family members um yeah. and they look at specific features if you've got something quite significant on your face as well 
but yeah, I, I find it extraordinary. And imagine you're sat there and you look at the TV and you're like, oh my God, that looks like me. Can you imagine? <gasps> yeah. I know. So the well, does that, oh, I'm not going to remember his sodding note. Do you know, I always do this and I think it's just, well, sometimes I think I've got that like, what is that Ag agnosia what do you call it when you can't remember your bloody words i think oh I've got yeah, that. yeah 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 um, anyway but um there was that case of the man who in new jersey who'd killed all his family um done a runner changed his identity uh had was living in like virginia or north carolina or something and his wife was sitting watching the news and uh they just happened to reopen the case i think he was one of like the most wanted men uh want most people most wanted people and his wife was watching the news and was like wait that looks like my husband and called <gasps> it in and it was this guy who'd like killed his whole family in new jersey what the hell is his name right i'm not going to look it up now because i don't want to go online right now um i've been kind of online all day so i'm not going to do that but if anybody listening can um can tell us his name uh, obviously uh, then please you know uh, write it in the um chat for where we post this post this episode. It's really interesting you said about the order of your episodes because I remember when the first series came out I said to you oh my god go and watch episode one and tell me what you think. So episode one on my tv is the guy who is they think he's committed suicide by jumping off the hotel yeah but his phone was intact his glasses it was a tiny hole that he apparently fell through so that's what I thought I mean in my mind that's episode one and you were like OMG and I was like great I'm going to get James's theory on this because we often do this we watch or read things and we tell each other what we think he's like yeah I can't believe all that family found buried under the house and he's disappeared and I was like what, what? I didn't question it at the time I just thought okay James sure <laughs> yeah I just I I think I remember you just went silent yeah I was like uh because but I even remember thinking, oh, what's she going on about a suicide? Oh, probably because he committed suicide in the mountains when he went off walking. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um, any, so I'm not really. I tell you what, we are. We just finished uh, Ratchet, which I really enjoyed. Oh, Sarah. I think it got better and better. Mm. Actually, we've not finished it yet. Okay. Well, I won't say anything. And um, to be honest, we've been watching Housewives and Neighbors. Oh, and that's yeah. been about all I've been able to cope with, frankly. Oh, we also on um, over Halloween we watched some kind of scary films. Have you seen a film called the T the Terrifier or just Terrifier? No. Oh my God! Right, it's my friend Rihanna and Harvey. And um, Rihanna is a full-on murderino, by the way. Yes. Um. So Rihanna and Harvey, we went around their house, and they they're obsessed with this film called The Terrifier. And it's basically about like a psychopathic clown that goes on a oh. murderous rampage on Halloween. And um, it's gory. It's so, it's it's crap. It's almost like a student <laughs> film, yeah. but it was really entertaining actually. And I think it's got kind of got cult status, but um, avoid it if you don't like kind of blood and gore, because there's a lot of it. Well, on Halloween, we watched, based on the last podcast, the Amityville Horror, so the 1970s film, James, I have to say, it was creepy. It was scary. It's so creepy. And even Pete, and Pete is really hard to please when it comes to horror films. He loved it. He was like, that was so well done. It was creepy. It wasn't over the top. Um, the only bit we didn't think was necessary is when he fell into that sort of black goo towards the end. But the rest of it, like the music, the ha, ah, ah. mm. ha, oh my God. And the get out, and yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, the get out. Oh. I remember watching that for the first time. The, when yeah, that get out. That 
that the priest reported and that was a that's a creepy voice that was i think that was the creepiest part of the film but i think you're right it's not overdone it's for me it's very much like the shining like it's that yeah it's that kind of suspense that uh continuous suspense throughout without yeah. like the there's there are no like massive scares no or gore really no but it's that sort of seeing someone sort of break down in front of you you know yeah George Lutz, you see him having this sort of, um, you just see his complete personality changing while he's in the house. And it, what was worse, the way it ended, I was like, okay, Peter, now I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. And he's like, oh my God, really? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> what you mean, Gemma, do you mean that Pete hasn't watched the, hasn't listened to the episode yet? No, he's not. No, selfish. No, oh no. Oh my God. Does no, he call himself what? a fan? He said apparently he's number one fan, but I don't believe it. Well, he won't be getting a, a Facebook badge like I did for my steps fandom, that's for sure. Oh my God, can we give away like True Crime Lockdown badges for our top fans? I think we should get True Crime, I think we should do a True Crime Lockdown merch. Let's do it. Um, I don't really have any, like, I don't really have anything um, else. I've just, it's literally been work. 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 And yeah. I have to say for the past week, I've gone out every single night. You know what, though? That was probably the most sensible thing to do because you I actually don't believe this lockdown is going to end on the 2nd of December. I know I hate to be the person that says it, but maybe it will. I don't know. The one good thing I think, and this is probably selfish reasons, is if we do the whole of November in lockdown and they let me go home in December and see my family, it'll be worth it to me in my head. That's kind of keeping me going. If I know right you're sacrificing november fine weather's getting a bit dodgy it's dark at two o'clock but if i know that that means that i can go to scotland and see my family even just for a couple of days i'll take it i really will yeah i think like that's the position you have to take isn't it that it's that kind of um pleasure pain that we have to go through this painful period and hopefully you know that will mean that we can have a uh, more pleasurable december and be, be with our families and things yeah or with who, whoever you want to be with who what was your best night out then before lockdown oh my god well i bloody hell uh i don't even remember like i don't remember the nights now. <laughs> i have to say we had a really nice time on monday uh what the hell did we do on monday monday was really fun because obviously I don't normally obviously go out during the week at all but no. I just thought I'm not missing out so on um Monday we oh Gemma do you know what? I just don't know we did something it's all gone we're so exhausted how can I not know this is what's freaking me out what the hell did I do on Monday Monday remember Jim, oh, I did oh, oh, yeah, the bicycle. Oh. sat out in the cold my friend doesn't like being inside um she's a massive murderina as well her friend my friend Helen she doesn't like being inside at the moment so we sat outside a little group of us my friend Matt who's going through a, a bit of a difficult time is going through a breakup so we went down to the beach bar we just had like three drinks we did not go mad and then um uh, we had a couple of people back to our house and i'd cooked i prepared something so we ate which was really oh. nice and then tuesday we went out for dinner for re for my friend's birthday uh, we went uh, down to nostos in hove and nice. just yeah just shared um one of those like carafes of wine uh, which was lovely and then wednesday night we um went to there's a really nice pizza restaurant that my next door neighbor owns called woodbox oh. pizza it's in Kenton village you get it's amazing um, you get no, 
you know what? he doesn't do discount for us but what he does is he um brings us like freebies oh nice or nice. he just won't charge you for your drinks or something um or he's also he's the one with the dog that comes and visits oh i love oh i love the dog she's so he's jen's dad so i kind of think that well we get your dog for free so yeah yeah um, so we did that and then um, we went, so we did that like five, literally as soon as work finished, I was like in the pizza place, five, <laughs> literally five minutes later, because it's basically opposite my house. And then um, just went to the pub with some friends. I booked a table for six and it's oh, all the nice. people who like to hang out normally on a Friday. We met on a Wednesday and uh, yeah, so I think it was for me, I'm a, I'm, you know, we were saying I'm a highly social person. Yeah, and, same. And I do, I think we need to remember this, that the lockdown, it, it, it affects people differently and we have to be really open-minded and accepting of the different ways it affects people. And I sometimes find Gemma, right, I'm going to put this out there, that because, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 39 next week. Happy birthday, happy birthday. Thank you very much. And um, I don't, you know, I'm not married, I don't have children, I don't, you know, envisage that happening, frankly. Um, I don't own a house, I don't live what you might call a normative life. And my uh, friends are a really important part of my family. Like they, they, they are, you know, they say the family you choose. Yeah. And being, being social, you know, the way that, um, you know, I was socialized as a teenager and in my twenties, it's about being out and about. It's about being out with friends. And it's so important to my identity. So when lockdown happens, it's almost like a threat to my identity. I, I feel like at a loose I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah. Um, and I think that needs to be really remembered that, that and I, it just gets, I feel like it gets overlooked, that lockdown affects people in a million different ways. And it's not just because, oh, you know, I can't go to the shops or I can't go blah, 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 or I, or I can't, whatever, whatever it is. I think we need to honour all the different ways that, um, that people can be upset by it and made to and feel yeah that their lives are that their freedoms are restricted and their lives have fundamentally changed for a period of time i totally i actually agree with everything you've just said and i feel there's a lot of stigma when you say i miss socializing and going out with people the, the immediate reaction people are like oh you're just selfish you know you can speak to people online it's not the same I don't care what anyone says we're in jobs where we have to live online we have to do everything online you know I'm with you that I moved away from Scotland just over 10 years ago I literally had a suitcase and you know a duvet cover I had nothing else I didn't know anyone down here I forged what I think is a life that I'm very happy with and it's taken me I have to say most of my life to get to this point I, there was massive chunks of my childhood where I didn't have what I would say a very nice time and for me now my whole part sorry this is a bit heavy but I'm just trying to explain my, my thought process during lockdown for me my life down here is everything and the people I've met I've met my husband here I've met my friends I've got amazing people I work with who are also friends it means everything to me and when I'm in lockdown I feel like I'm not making those memories I want to make. I'm not having those conversations I want, want to do. I've had times in my life where I've not had those things in my life. And I feel very lucky I've got to this place. But now I feel this year that it's been restricted and I don't live like that. I'm a very much live it each day as it comes. I'm not a, 
let's plan five years time. I know how delicate life is. And for me, I want to be in the now and I want to be having fun and I want to be with people I love. And I feel that's what COVID has taken away from us. And that's why I'm struggling in lockdown. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's really it's really important to acknowledge because I think we focus on uh, I think we focus on other things, and there are also there are lots of people that maybe feel less affected by lockdown, which is great, like as they should. But I just uh, I I sometimes get frustrated because that kind of that voice, like uh, I would I would spend the weekend out out and about. I don't spend it in, uh, you know, I'm I'm in pubs, in restaurants, around friends' houses. And that's and I, other people don't do that because they live more um, I don't know suburban or domestic lives, which is yeah. great. Like also that's great, and it affects them in different ways, you know. Absolutely. And I think yeah, it's just that I sometimes think that uh, it can be we forget that that diversity of how people live means that there's going to be great variability and diversity in how lockdown affects people and yeah. uh, how it impacts their their kind of day to day lives. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we literally like every weekend you send photos of what we were doing. We're always out and about doing stuff. And yeah, it's been difficult. It has been difficult. But I think you're right. We just need to speak openly about it. We've all got different circumstances. I like the fact we just said it has been difficult and it's day day two. <laughs> it's only day two. Oh it's my only God. day two. Oh, Jesus. Like, I feel like this is a conversation we should be having on December the 1st or something or like November oh, the 25th. Okay. It'll literally, we'll just play Simon and Garfunkel. Hello, darkness, my old friend. We won't even be here. We'll just be sleeping. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. Um, right. Should we... I think that's good. Should we go? Gemma, you're first this week. I know. I am, am I? You are. So... I'm going to sit. I haven't got internet open. Oh, yeah. I'm going to turn my teams off because that's on. I shouldn't I'm, be on. I've got my PowerPoint on, which can go. I'm going to turn that off. I've got my that on, that can go. I've got, yeah, I've got nothing open. It's just me, you, and your crime. And my gin and tonic. And hopefully at least like 100 people listening eventually. Oh, do you reckon? We've got a lot more followers, by the way. Well, I'll tell you what, as soon as I get around, and I say this literally every time, oh, that's something I can do on my reading week. I'm, I'm off next week. I'm actually off from about an hour's time. Um, oh. Yeah, so I will, uh, I am going to put these on a on a hosting site so we can share it more widely. Oh, that'd be fantastic. But we've got like about 127 just on the Teams page. So it's fantastic. Fantastic. Um, yes. So James, would you like to hear about murder? I would. Right. We are going to... As it's election week, we are going to America this week for my murder. I just love the way, I even love the way I say murder. How bad is that? So we're going to Ohio. Yes. And this is a case from 2016. So it's not too far away. Is it one that you think I'll know? Like, is it a, f a familiar one? I don't think you will know this one. I might be wrong. Um, involves someone called um, Sarah or Sierra. Does that sound familiar, that name? Okay. So to start with, um, I... Uh, only like Ford Sierra, which I think we used to have a Ford Sierra. <laughs> a bit, you know, police cars used to be Ford Sierra. All police cars were Ford Sierras, weren't they? In like the... When was that? Late, early 90s, something like that? Like in the bell. Yeah, exactly. 
or Juliet Bravo. Do you remember Juliet Bravo? Right. I'm I'm shutting up now. I'm actually gonna put myself on mute. Go for it. Yeah, could you put yourself on mute for once? Thanks. <laughs> so um yeah, I this was a case. I saw it in a, a documentary on the Investigation Discovery Channel. I don't know if people watch that. Um it's a series which has a lovely name. It's called Living a Nightmare, and the episode is called The Long Way Home. And after I watched it, I was quite shocked by the case. So I decided to do a bit of research into it. Um, and so I'm going to tell you about that today. Some warnings at the start. This is a very unpleasant murder. Um, and the details um, aren't very pleasant. So I just want people to be aware of that um, from the offset. So we are going to Ohio. And this involves a 20-year-old girl um, called Sierra. I originally thought her name was Sarah, but it's Sierra. That's how they pronounce it. Um, so she's 20 years old. She is a university student. She, for whatever reason, has decided to come home to finish her final year from home. And she lives with her mum. She's also very, very close to her aunt who lives nearby. So she is a great student, very outgoing. She gets on with her cousins. And she has a boyfriend called Josh. Um, they've got a brilliant relationship. They've been together for quite some time. And Josh pretty much goes around and says to everyone, you know, he's the one. I'm going to marry her eventually. So um, good relationship. They live in quite a rural, rural part of um, the state. So it's lots of sort of farmland, tractors, country life. And everyone kind of knows each other. So it's everyone feels quite safe and protected. Um, so on the 19th of July, 2016, um, so Sierra had recently bought a new bike at a garage sale and she wanted to try it out. So it was about five o'clock at night and she said to her mum, I'm gonna just ride my bike to Josh's house, which was seven miles away. Yeah, fair play. I mean, that's a decent amount of exercise, isn't that's, it? That's far, yeah. Yeah. Just and then I we associate American people with cycling with, with long bike rides. Well, I don't know. What, what the hell? They usually have a Jeep, don't they, or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so her mum's like, yeah, no problem. Um, her mum had a class in town that night. So the plan was they'd both come back and have dinner. Um, just a typical, typical day. So um, Sierra rides over to Josh's house. Josh is there. They have a chat. And then Josh, he's got a motorcycle. So he's like, look, I'll, I'll come. I'll sort of drive back with you. So she's on her bike, he's slowly on a motorcycle, he's driving next to her. About half a mile from her house, Sierra says, Josh, listen, just head back now, it's getting late. I'm, I can, I'm nearly home, um, don't worry, I'm, I'm off. And Josh is like, are you sure? Okay, it's not far, I don't mind making sure you get to your door. And she's like, no, no, it's fine. Like it's, it's still light and I'm half a mile away, don't worry. So Josh turns around and um, he goes home. So then um, Sarah's mum is coming back from her class in town. And usually what happens is Sarah would be home by now and she will see Sarah's uh, bedroom light on. And so she'll kind of acknowledge that she's there, park up. Uh, but tonight her light wasn't on and she thought it was really unusual. But again, she's like, she's 20 years old. I don't want to be that sort of overbearing mum who's like, why are you not home? She just assumes, you know what, she's probably just stayed at Josh's for dinner um, and didn't think anything of it. So she didn't at first run up to the room and check on her or anything. 
So then about 10 o'clock, the house phone goes and it's Josh. And Josh says, um, where's Sierra? She's not answering her mobile phone. And um, Sierra's mum's like, well, is she not with you? Um, and she basically, well, he, she says, no, I just assumed that she would be with, so with you, Josh. And Josh is like, no, we we left just before seven. And I, I took my mic motorcycle and, and went back home. I've been trying to phone her mobile. She's not answering. It's really unusual. So the mum runs up to her room and she's not there. There's no evidence that she's there. Her bike is still gone. And she's like, oh, that's really weird. And she's like, Josh, like, how was she when you left her? And he was like, she was absolutely fine. She was literally half a mile from home. So the mum starts to get this really sort of sickly feeling in her stomach. You know, something's not right. This isn't like her. She just wouldn't just disappear off and not say to her mum. They were a close unit. Um, so Josh said, yeah, she, we left the house just before seven, went along, and then we, we parted ways. Um, so after Sarah's been missing for four hours, her family decides to contact the police. The police, of course, say, look, it's only been four hours. We can't class her as missing person until 24 hours which is just ridiculous. If you know someone is not of character to go missing, you know something's wrong. She was on her way home. It, you know, it just, it was out of character. But they always had, we know, don't we, how many cases where the police will say, no, we can't do anything. And it's like, why 24 hours? Literally within the first hour, something awful could have happened. Or they could still be alive, you know. I've never understood that. And I know it's because a lot of people run off and come home. But just think about that percentage of people who are in trouble and they don't get that help. Is there like an, an age where the 24 hour thing doesn't apply? Like, cause surely like if you've, I don't know, if you've got a seven year old or something, they don't come home from school. That 24 hour thing can't be mm -hmm. a thing, come on. Yeah. I, 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 we should look, well, I should look that up because it just seems like, I mean, she's 20, right? This Sierra's 20. 20 yeah. So I suppose it's like an adult, but yeah. it's, just, it's frustrating. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry, just to say that that poor guy, like the guy, um, Josh, just knowing that it's that kind of everyday decision you make. Oh, I just won't accompany you for that. Like you drop off your friend at the corner and knowing that they're going to just stumble home the last two blocks when you've been out for a night out. And yeah. that, you know, that split that split second decision and then so much hinges on that decision and it's such the weight of that responsibility is well it's humongous isn't it well it reminds me of the shan callahan case in um swindon so she left the nightclub by herself got into the taxi christopher halliwell was in there and he killed her and again her friends had stayed in the club I, i've never ever i just can't do it i can't not purposefully leave anyone. I just, I guess uh, it's probably good because I've read about all these crimes, but you just look out for people. So the family start driving around um, the path she would have taken and eventually the police get involved. Um, so a couple of detectives come on, on the scene and they realise near like about half a mile or just not too far from where Josh left are, there was like bits of a cornfield that had clearly been disturbed. So like the stalks were down, if you know what I mean. So there was a clear like opening where people had been. Um, and they thought, okay, that's really, really, really strange. Um, and they smelled this really overwhelming smell of, um, it was almost like gas. It was a really, really 
strange smell. There was um, two pairs of sunglasses on the ground. There was a, um, what else was there? I think it was like a fuse box, which is a bit random. And then as they looked, something kind of caught their eye and it was one of the lights on a bike. So they went over to the bike and it was uh, Sierra's bike. No sign of her, but the bike was there. And then just some really weird random stuff around it. Um, so the police automatically said, this looks like an abduction. You know, she's not here. There's no evidence of her being here. Um, we can see there's been disturbance in the corn. So it's not like she's, you know, like lost control of our bike and like fallen into the cornfield like they looked all around to see if she was lying injured because that is a possibility absolutely a possibility but there was nothing it was just but there was this weird smell they couldn't work out if it was gas or fuel there was just something that didn't smell quite right um as they got closer to the bike they noticed that there was blood stains on the saddle and on the handles but there wasn't enough blood to suggest like a massive injury so it was like um specks of blood as opposed to like pools of blood which obviously it means in their head they were thinking perhaps she is still alive because there's not masses of blood so at 12 hours missing the family start putting posters out um, with her face on them saying where she was what she was wearing what she was doing um and the police basically said to everyone, look, look out, if anything looks weird around town or out on the outskirts of town, if anything grabs your attention, please let us know. And so there's a farmer and his son, they're driving around a track near where um, Sierra's gone missing and they find a motorcycle helmet. Now the motorcycle helmet is covered in blood. And what it looks like is it's been used as a weapon so it looks like the, the helmet has been used to hit someone. So they decide to pick it up, put it in the truck and take it to the police station. So straight away, they're like, a motorcycle? Well, Josh has a motorcycle. So Josh was escorting her home. So immediately they got suspicious of the boyfriend. They thought, okay, that's really, really weird. So they decided, right, we're going to go and speak to Josh and we're going to go and search his house. Also, he's the last person to see her alive. So naturally he will become a suspect. And we know, don't we, from previous, anyone, so partners, family members, they will be interviewed. It is part of the process, but it also gives you a sense of is anyone acting suspicious or trying to hide information? If it was me, I'd be like, ask me anything. I want to help. Unless I've actually killed someone, then I'd be like, no, nothing happened. <laughs> so this is where it gets interesting. So they look around Josh's house all as well, but then they decide to look at his truck. So his, his motorcycle's there. They have a look at that. There's no blood on it. There's no evidence of, of anything going on. But he has a truck as well. So they look in the truck and then the back of the truck, when you look, it's like a sort of trailer type thing. They look in there and there's blood. So there's blood on overalls and there's blood on blankets. The police straight away are like, oh my God, it's the boyfriend. Right. It's not looking so, good. Not looking yeah. good for the boyfriend. The boyfriend is like, I wouldn't, I absolutely have nothing to do with this. All I feel is pure guilt that I didn't ride all the way home with her. I would never hurt her. And the police were like, you've got blood in your truck. And he's like, that is not human blood. He's like, I hunt deer. He's like, it's, it's animal blood, test it. And the police were like, oh, come on, but like, you were the last person to see her. Like, did you have an argument? Did something happen? 
And he's like, no, I absolutely adore her. This is breaking me. So they took the overalls and the blanket and they tested it and it was animal blood. So it was deer blood. And I mean, I, yeah. I, if, if you ask me, you should be arrested for that anyway. But I mean, yeah, that's just well, likewise, likewise. But I mean, being the last person to see somebody alive and bl bloody overalls turning up in your, the back of your truck isn't exactly, uh, yeah, great. Well, it was weird because I was watching the documentary and it was like 15 minutes in and I was like, they've solved it. They've solved, <laughs> they've it. solved it. Well, that was... That was yeah. a quick episode. Next. So he, Josh was cleared. Um, you then see him, he's interviewed for the documentary and you can tell he's completely broken. So he blames himself completely. He said, I replay the last sort of 30 minutes over and over. He's like, I'll never forgive myself. You would just want to turn back time, wouldn't you? It's that, you know, whenever whenever you do something that turns out to be, it's one of those split decisions that sets you, sets a, something in motion. And then you think, God, you try and retrace the moment where you made that decision. I kind of, I always think about stuff like that, like chaos theory kind of things. It freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, and it's that, I always think about it. It sounds really silly, but like sliding doors, you know, the film we're going to start from. So it's, you know, there's like two options and whatever one you pick, there can be a different outcome. And that is, um, yeah, that's quite scary. You know, like I said before about me moving to Portsmouth. So the night before I had my interview at Portsmouth Uni, I've changed my mind, I wasn't going to go. I just thought to myself, it's too overwhelming to go so far away and I'm never going to get the job. Um, so if I hadn't gone, if you hadn't gone, you'd, you'd be Nicola Sturgeon right now. <laughs> I mean, oh Christ, I'm glad I moved. <laughs> that lovely hairstyle. That lovely. <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine? Oh, I'm glad I moved. Um, yeah, so anyway, Josh is cleared. And he, he says, you know, when he's interviewed by the doc documentary team, I should have walked her home. I'll never, I would never have hurt her. We had an amazing relationship. And all the family and friends did contest to that. They said they were a brilliant couple. Um, so he was cleared. He was no longer the prime suspect. But so they had nothing now. They had nothing to go on except the fact that they found her bike. They found a motorcycle helmet that looked like it was covered in, well, it was covered in blood and it looked like it had been used. It had like a bit of a dent in it. So again, it might not necessarily be connected to the case, but they were trying to look at everything suspicious. Um, so then everyone continued searching up and down the road that she'd cycled on. They just thought, God, have we just missed her? Because it's, you know, the like, really high cornfields you get in America. I mean, I would get lost in there, Jesus, you know. There's that horror film on, isn't there? There's that Stephen King horror film on... Um, oh, I don't, Children, Children no, of the Corn. No, well, there's that, but there's a more recent one, oh. In the Tall Grass. Yes. Yeah. And people get lost. Yeah. So they, they did say, look, if she's injured herself and she's tried to crawl to get help, has she just got completely confused by her environment? So they just kept going up and down the path, um, but they didn't find anything. There was a suspicious vehicle at one point. So it was a white truck and Josh was following it because it kept sort of slowing down and then it sped away. So Josh told the police about the van and the police caught up with the van. It was a female driver and she thought that Josh was following her. So she got a bit nervous. So she had nothing to do with it. But that's what I mean. You, you kind of, everything's suspicious, isn't it? And sometimes the obvious things don't, don't 
become a parent because you're so focused on far too many things going on. Well, you well, especially, to- especially in a small community when everyone's been told to look out for anything suspicious, you know, I think that yeah. explains that. So we're no further forward with this. There's still no sign of her. Um, so the police are like, okay, what, what are we going to do? And so they suddenly decide, okay, should we have a look to see if there's any serious offenders that live nearby? So if there's any sort of violent or sexual offenders that live around the area, because it already done a bit of house to house, but there was a lot of farmland. So there was a lot of sort of secluded buildings that they hadn't gone to yet. And so they did a database search and there was someone called James Worley. So he lived um, on a farm with his mum and he had been convicted previously for um, abduction and assault. So they just thought, you know what, we have to go and check it out. It's one of those things. So they went to um, James Worley's property. What was really interesting, and one of the police officers obviously had um, either a body-worn video camera or some device that was recording what was happening. So in the documentary, you actually hear the police and James Worley, you hear them actually speaking. So the police knock on the door, he answers the door, and the first thing he said, the police haven't said anything yet. So the first thing he says is, um, I'm, not, I'm not out there killing chicks, dude. That's the first thing he says. So he doesn't know that anything's happened. Um, and what's really interesting is he's so like aggressive and defensive straight away. He's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't hurt anyone. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't raped anyone. And the police are like, we're here, but a missing person. Why? Well, I don't have them. Just really, do. and he got more and more upset with the police. It's like, oh, I know what you're going to do. You're going to pin this on me because I've been in trouble before. You've, there's no evidence. And the police were like, just calm down. We're going to every farm. Yes, yeah, seriously, stop talking right now. Yeah. 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 Like he just kept going on and on and on. And the police, you just tell the police were just, they were trying to minimise the conflict. So we're saying, look, we're just having a look. We're doing it with everyone. It's nothing personal. Obviously, it is massively personal, especially that reaction. Right, way to incriminate yourself just for, you know, so I, yeah, just keep your gob shut. But then you just think, well, you're clearly stupid and that's why you're not keeping your gob shut. And now you're just going to dig yourself a hole. Yeah. The police say, we want, we're coming into your house, whether you like it or not. And he said, right, what part of the house do you want to look at? And they're like, all of it. And he's like, all of it? We're like, yes. And he's like, oh, right, come on, let's get it over with. Um, so he shows them around the house. And then when you get to his bedroom, you can hear him say, this is my room. Look, no dead bodies. So he keeps having this really strange um, repertoire with the police. He keeps going on about, I've not done this. It sounds so weird when you listen to it. Um, and he just kept saying over and over again, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't raped anybody. And the police said, we've not even told you anything. We're just having a look. Um, so they, just, they looked around the house. There was not, It was a, a mess, but there was nothing suspicious. And so there was a number of sort of garages and barns that were nearby. And the police were like, we need to go and... So can I just say, isn't the crime having a really untidy house? Isn't the true crime here having the untidy house? I would have arrested him just for that. It was disgusting. I was like, oh my God, whatever you've done or not done, your house is a state, mate. What do, we, what do I always say? Cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> I stand by that. <laughs> <laughs> this would really upset your happiness, James, honestly. You would not have appreciated this house. 
I have to say, I didn't see the mum at any point. There's a bit of a Norman Bates feel about it, but anyway, that's another story. So he had these garages and barns on the property. And so they went to a garage and he had a motorcycle and other bits and pieces, a truck. And he was kind of like a handyman, did repairs and bits and pieces. And then if you go to the back of the garage, it takes you into a barn. Now he was really, he got really anxious at this point. So when they stepped into the barn, he's like, yeah, it's just the barn, let's go. And the police were like, no, hang on a minute. And they looked around the barn. And the first thing they noticed is there was loads of hay bales, but positioned in a really weird way. I'll say more about that in a second. But also there was a rake and it's clear that there'd been mud scraped along the barn floor. And it, did, it didn't make any sense why that would happen. So the police started walking towards the hay bales and James starts kicking off, like, it's really hot in here, let's just get out, Look, there's clearly nothing here, let's just go, let's just leave it. Um, and so, Pete's just bringing me some pretzels. Thanks. Sorry, interlude. Always need pretzels when I talk about death. <laughs> oh, who doesn't? Pretzels are the perfect uh, death accompaniment. You've got me flowers again. Go, James. Beautiful. Lockdown flowers. Lockdown flowers. Talking about how lockdown was breaking off, aren't we? <laughs> That's it, we've got to pick it up. Are you sure you've not broken something? No. Oh, other than a can of coke that's everywhere. Lovely. I'm just talking about some murder. All right, see you later. <laughs> Sorry, James. So I'll leave that in. Hmm. Oh, they're nice. So, the hay bales. Position funny. Can I just say, yeah. sorry, that um, the pretzels are so difficult to eat while you're talking because they're really flowery. So you're like, the hay bale. I love how well. <laughs> Make your I'm mouth really dry. You put my teeth back in. <laughs> I shouldn't be eating and talking anyway. It's awfully rude. So they move a hay bale out the way. And what they spot is like a green box with chicken wire around it. Just looks out of place. And again, James is in the background going, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. It's like, yeah, all right, mate. They open up the green box and inside, in sort of plastic, like sealed bags, are women's clothing. So there is everything from lace pants, Daisy Duke shorts, um, leggings. It's, it's so strange, but there's loads of it. And he's written what everything is in marker pen on them. I guess he's not opening up a branch of new look. He does have a, a, a reason for it, which I'll tell you later, but he does, he does give a sort of explanation as to why, but no, not new look. Um, and he says, oh, they're all new clothes. They've not been used. Um, and then they kind of move some of them out of the way and they spot a pair of pink underwear with blood on it. And they're like, okay, we're gonna arrest them. So they arrest him and take him down to the station. So while he's in the station, they continue to look and they just realize all of a sudden there's so many weird things around these hay bales. So there's a clear sort of indentation of where a mattress has been on the floor. And they find the mattress outside of the barn, complete state. But it's clearly, you can see, you know, when you move furniture and you've got the markings on the floor, you can see where a mattress has been. 
They also found um, handcuffs. They found some um, sexual toys, um, binding, duct tape. It just all looked really, really strange. And they were sort of moving the hay about and they noticed um, a bit of, um, it was kind of like plywood, like a big, almost door size bit of plywood. And so they lifted, and it had air holes in it. So they lifted it up and there was a freezer. And he'd essentially put straps on the freezer so that you couldn't get out if you were in it. And straight away they were like, okay, she's going to be in here, isn't she? So getting themselves ready. Opened it up. There was no one inside. But the first thing was this massive waff of like chemicals, bleach. And it was literally, it was horrible. It wasn't even like big. It was like a sort of square freezer. It had like carpet put in it. It just looked sinister. It looked horrible. Along with the clothes and the sort of the sex toys and the, the rope, the handcuffs, it just, it looked horrendous. And so at the police station, this was all put to him, like explain what is going on. And he said, well, it's simple. The freezer, I keep my weed in there. So, you know, I, if I think I'm going to get in trouble for it, I take the weed out and I, I clean it. And they're like, okay. Such a classic kind of technique, isn't it? It's kind of admit to some kind of criminality, a very low level criminality. It's like, oh, yeah. you got me. Yeah, I'm that. I'm the little monkey who, you know, takes too much weed. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, no, 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 you're, don't minimise your criminality. You know, you are a, yeah. Well, I'm sure we're going to find out what he is. And then they're like, okay, so explain the clothes and the sex toys and um, those cameras as well, those cameras. And he went, oh, that's easy. I want to be a producer. And they were like, a producer of what? He's like, porn films. I want to film porn films. So that's why I've got the clothes and the sex toys. He's like, it's not sinister. It's just I'm going to I'm gonna start a business and that's what I'm going to do. So that's the reasons he get. Again, it's that sort of low-level, um, like, cr criminality, isn't it? Yeah, like, or I'm a bit disgusting. Yeah, you've got me. I'm a bit disgusting. I'm, a, You know, I do it, you know. Hold oh. my hands up bit of weed you know making porn films yeah you got me yeah I'm one of those and they were like mm, right so the police are still searching they still haven't located um Sierra so they go to his truck and they look in the back and in the back there are zip ties duct tape there's a ski mask no those three things I would just I would say you're arrested for murder if you've got zip uh, if you've got those what was the first one the um tie ties what about those what what were the three zip ties zip ties duct tape ski mask duct tape i mean those are the it's the holy trinity it's the murder kit it's the murder kit ho holy trinity well, the, the the female police officer said this this is in his truck for when he gets an opportunity do, do you know what i mean so it's it's there and ready just in case he stumbles across someone um so again, the police were still saying to the public, if you spot anything strange, let us know. So they continued to search and obviously they took loads of evidence to do um, DNA testing on. So then this is 48 hours after Sarah's gone missing. Again, another farmer, he was near the abduction site and he noticed something unusual with the ground. It clearly been disturbed. Um, and he just thought it, it doesn't look right. You know, he knew the land well. It was clearly like someone had dug a hole and then filled it again. It didn't look right. <sighs> this bit's not nice. So the police are called. 
they start moving away the dart and straight away the smell of decomposition comes out um, and Sierra is in there. The, de the details aren't very nice, I'll just say that. So she has been buried in a shallow grave. She's been hogtied, so that's when your arms and um, ankles are tied behind your back. She has a plastic toy shoved in her mouth, which is essentially a gag. And this is a really weird one. She's wearing an adult diaper. Um, and yeah, it, it's a horrific scene. It looks really distressing. And the medical examiner um, basically says that it's asphyxiation. Mm -hmm. that's, that's how she's been killed. Oh my gosh. Um, they said having that in her mouth, is all, she's suffocated. It, it was just a horrendous scene. It's horrible. It's it's just there aren't even words to to describe that. It's yeah. I you know you feel so awful for the man who found her, for yeah. the investigators who um, then have to work you know with the body, and then of course her poor parents, her mother and boyfriend and all the people that who who knew her. It's just it's yeah it's absolutely awful. I think the, I remember the mum or aunt saying she was lying in that shallow grave like five minutes away and, and we didn't know. Um, so there was, yeah, it, it's horrible and I can't even imagine how she must have felt. So there was DNA testing there was, um, that was linked to Sierra and to James in the barn. So the bloods on the pants, that was Sierra. Her DNA was on handcuffs, duct tape, on the mattress that had been in the barn. So how long was she kept alive after she was uh, abducted? I think they said about 24 hours. Right. So God knows what he did. That poor um, woman who, I mean, you, it's just, it's unthinkable, you know, that somebody, that somebody would be suffering for 24 hours or for any period of time, you know, basically being tortured. It's, you know, the stuff of nightmares, really. So what they think transpired on the actual day, sometimes the actual crime. So uh, we think that James spotted Sierra and Josh parting ways. So he was actually on a motorcycle. She was on her bike and James actually drove past her. He then decided to stop. He got off his motorcycle. He took his helmet off and he knelt down like he was fixing his tire. And as Sierra went past, he got the motorcycle helmet and smacked her over the head. He then put her into the cornfield with the bike, motorcycled home, got his truck, brought the truck round, put her in the truck, and then took her back to the barn. What he did there, we don't know for sure, but we can guess from the description of where her DNA was, what happened. Yeah, it's one of, it's one of those cases where I think our imaginations probably can't think, can't do the horror, the justice. You know, I think it's better to just not even try and think about it, what might have happened. And it's because it's too ghastly. It's too distressing. And yeah. Yeah, that was the bit in the documentary. I just was like, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, they could link him and her to the same scene. So he was um, charged. He went to trial on the 27th of March 2018. Um, and he was found guilty and he was sentenced to death. Yeah, he did get a stay of execution last year, but he is still on death row. They've just delayed the execution. One thing that did come from it, the family um, 
the family were kind of like, we cannot believe there was a man like that living nearby. So they came up with Sierra's Law in 2018 in December. And basically there's now a searchable database of felons living in the state that have sexual or violent convictions. Um, it's absolutely horrific. Um, and there's a number of reasons I picked this one. So the first one is this happened in daylight. You know, it wasn't in some dark alley and it was someone who was so close from home. Um, but also just not being aware there's those sort of people nearby. Um, that, that, these, these are the truly horrific cases, aren't they? Because it's those, um, you know, we always try to look for reasons why it wouldn't happen to us or someone we know. Yeah. We look for explanations like, oh, well, I would never be in that position. I would never be walking home through a forest at two o'clock in the morning. Or I would never, um, yeah, uh, leave my friends or whatever it is. I don't live in America, so blah, blah, blah. We always try and look for reasons for why. But actually, this is, you know, a daylight, um, yeah. somebody on a vehicle. You know, she was on a bicycle, which, you you know, you feel safer when you're traveling, yeah. when you're actually traveling on a vehicle than you are on foot. And I think that's why cases like this are just so terrifying because, I mean, first of all, they're so enormously rare. Yes, I, yeah, I must say that. Stranger murder, you know, daylight, yeah. yeah. But it does kind of just remind you that um, life is inherently kind of, it's dangerous, you know, and uh, you don't have to, it's not about, I mean, it doesn't really matter whether you're taking risks or not because these people you know, you should be able to live your life however you want and not be victim blamed for walking home in the, you know. Exactly. But the point is, sometimes you're literally not doing anything risky. Being outside your house is the risk, you know, or being, but then being inside your house is the risk as you're gonna see when I do mine, my murder yeah. shortly, but yeah. So it, it really stuck with me. And I just, I felt like, again, it was one of those cases that probably didn't get the attention it deserved. And I, I like to pick things that people don't know a lot about and you are right, it is rare. I'm not telling this to scare anyone, but I think it's really important. Absolutely. It tells you a lot in terms of what to look out for, sort of things at a crime scene that immediately give you alarms. What people say as well. So him open the door and go, I've not killed or raped anyone. That's a confession to me. Um, but also that kind of looking out for each other, make sure people are home safe. I think there's a lot of messages in it. And I really like the fact that they, they had this law that came from it to- um, Yeah other people got something positive out of it yes yeah, so well, i mean that, yes a, a positive change to the law yeah yeah so that is um the murder of sierra in ohio oh i mean that I was know. that was a tough one but you did warn you said it's going to be a tough one and i have to say mine is not easy either i know and, and the thing is we, we do it for, we always have good reasons for picking these crimes you know one of the student who diana said today when we were talking she said I like that you talk about things that I'm, it's not famous cases. It's not cases I'm really familiar with. It's things I'm not familiar with. And then we get a real insight into why you've picked them. And so we're never gonna shy away, are we? From, no. from the really serious ones. Do you know that one I think was um, done on MFM. And I think it was, I think it might've been a hometown. Um, I will check. Um, how do you spell Sierra? Um, like, is it like Ford Sierra? No, it's, Get my notes. Oh, I can Google it. Uh, so it's S I E. Yeah. R A H. Oh, okay. Sierra. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I think uh, I think Georgia might have done that. I only it was when you talked about the bike being found in the cornfield 
it rang a yeah. bell but it might have been a hometown I definitely didn't know that level of detail and uh, yeah um, I mean it's truly it's got kind of horror film um feels to it it's got that kind of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and um, aspect yeah. to it with the kind of messed up uh you know rural kind of messed up location uh, uh messed up family weird uh, outbuildings and all that kind of thing it's the fact that he had everything ready to go he had the kill kit in his van it makes me think that wasn't his first crime i mean the the fact because well, to go from it seems like this is a person that would have gone from low low level as it were um but still you know extremely um awful crime like stealing people's underwear stuff like that voyeurism because uh, it seemed i mean it's sexually motivated crime no doubt mm. so yeah it seems really unlikely that he went from zero to a hundred i think and he'd, yeah. and he'd been convicted in the 90s for um oh. abduction and assault so right. i imagine yeah. there was more victims just yeah it's the sort of the um, honestly in the documentary the amount of clothes he has in that that box is yeah. disturbing uh thanks Gemma. that was Brutal, but uh, but great. And I have to say, mine is tough as well. Shall I just go straight into it? Yeah. Right. Guys, right. so this week, I'm going to do the murders of the Otero family, Catherine Bright, Shirley Vian, Nancy Fox, Maureen Hedge, Vicky Wegley, and Dolores Davis, AKA, AKA the BTK murders. But I'm not going to refer to uh, the murderer because he has had way too much airtime um, in uh, his life. And um, yeah, I'm actually just gonna concentrate on uh, talking about the victims and describing the victims um, a little bit on how they died, but not too much uh, graphic detail, but just to really honor those victims. And I know we've already said this, but the reason that I'm um, I'm so interested in these murders and always will always have been is because he picked up on the most terrified, the thing that we're most terrified about. And that is somebody being inside your home and attacking you inside your home. And I know Gemma, you told me earlier on about that episode of um, Luther, right? Luther. Yeah, yeah, yeah Luther. So it was, um, it's already really creepy anyway, that show, but um, this was someone who was breaking into people's houses, even when there was, you know, like, a couple so it wasn't just people who were on their on their own it was very similar to the this case you know it was families um and in one scene i'll never forget it i just remember them a woman had gone to bed and you just see this figure slowly crawling out from under the bed and for me it's this, it's the thing that every horror film is made from you know every a tv show has got that sort of that you hear the monster under the bed. You know? Sure, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> it's literally the monster under the bed. And I do think, you know, De uh, Dennis Rader, self-styled BTK, you know, he is that monster. He's the monster in your wardrobe. He's the monster yeah. under your bed. And that's why I think we find the BTK story so fascinating. But, you know, I don't really want to talk about him. I want to talk about these people because they... Uh, they had their lives literally uh, destroyed by this and monster. And I, I really, I'm so happy you're doing that because there's so many cases where it's just the focus on the, the killer. Um, I said uh, earlier, I've gotten my friends a book for her, their birthday and it's about Jack the Ripper's victims. It's about the women. Because all it is is all oh, these, you know, four of them were prostitutes, one wasn't. And there's no you know, detail. And this book basically takes you through their lives, what they were doing. Um, so I think that's so important. It just we sense people sensationalize 
the killers and it's like no what about these poor victims and to be honest BTK is one of the worst it is he is the monster in the closet he's the prime example of that and he's tapped into that fear yeah and I think because um you know he wasn't caught until uh the early 2000s so we were adults by the time he was caught so he was kind of free for a really long time um so it was always okay you know when I first found out about the BTK uh, about these murders um it was before he had um been kind of convicted or found like these were unsolved murders so um i'm going to start with the murder of joseph julie joseph jr and josephine otero um between 7 and 7 30 a.m on the 15th of january 1974 a man who will uh, come to be known as btk but i'm not going to use that name again well i'm going to try not to cuts the phone line of the Otero family home and enters the house via the back door. And he finds 38 year old Joseph Otero home along with his wife, jo Julie, who's 35, and their two baby bunny children, Josephine 11 and Joseph Junior nine. He pulls out a, a knife and a gun, orders the family into the bedroom, binds their hand and hands and feet, puts a bag over Joseph Senior's head and a cord around his neck and strangles him. So he strangles the dad. Then he strangles Julie with the children watching. He then moves on to strangle Josephine, who doesn't die. He doesn't realize that, but Josephine doesn't die um, at that moment. And then he puts a bag over Joseph Junior's head and strangles him, which, you know, this is a nine-year-old little boy. It's just unspeakable. This monster carries Josephine down to the basement, hangs her from a sewage pipe, uh, so she suffocates and he masturbates as she dies. So sexual element to that crime. Um, I think it's pretty clear that Julie and Josephine were the target of that murder. He actually didn't expect Joseph Senior or the little boy to be at home. Uh, I was wondering that when you when you said he was sat there so he was targeting the women yeah he was targeting the women the bodies were discovered by the otero's elder children charlie 15 danny 14 and carmen 13 and those three children are victims of this monster that not is just cute. that is proper trauma now that absolutely we always talk about secondary victims don't we um and they cannot, they're, they're almost re-traumatized by it. They're never, ever going to forget what they saw. Um, it's never, ever just the, the primary victims. It's such, such a massive impact on other people. It, yeah. That's the saddest thing about these cases. So this, uh, we're now going to go to four months later, and this is the murder of Catherine Bright. Four months later, brother and sister Catherine and Kevin, well, Kevin and Catherine Bright, return home at around 1 p.m. Oh, I should have said, sorry, that these homes are in Wichita, Kansas. So we're in America for this. I should have said that before. This is an Amer These are American murders, Wichita, Kansas. Uh, they return home at 1 p.m. and they find a man wearing a ski mask and pointing a gun at them. He says that he's a fugitive looking for a car and that he won't harm them if they provide him with food and money, which is actually something that he'd also said to the Otero family uh, that came out in his trial. Um, he ties up Catherine and then he ties up Kevin and uh, puts Kevin in another room. He shoots Kevin twice in the head. Catherine is strangled um, and he, he strangles Catherine for sexual motives. Um, but Catherine fights back 
Uh, and he, she fights back so much that um, he can't control her without stabbing her. So sadly, he stabs Catherine. Catherine bleeds to death. Kevin, shot twice in the head, survives the attempted murder. No. And um, yeah, and um, he uh, eventually, you know, uh, comes confronts this man who killed his sister later on when uh, when the man is uh, arrested. So he's alive now. Yeah. You survived. How do you survive two gunshot wounds to the head? I wow. mean, I was uh, listening uh, about a case yesterday, the I-5 killer. Um, Karen and Georgia covered it. I think it was Karen covered it on My Favourite Murder. And um, he had shot two cleaners, um, execution style, uh, twice in the head, and one of them survived. So, yeah. Oh, the I-5 killer by Anne Rule. I love Anne Rule. Oh, my God, I love Anne Rule. You're going to enjoy that book. So Gemma has just shown me she's got a brand new copy of The I-5 Killer by Anne Rule. Anne Rule is such an amazing author. Guys, check her out. She And she's a badass as well. Like She was a, a police officer in the 1980s uh, and maybe 90s. She was an investigator. Um, obviously a strong, um, a strong woman in a, in a world dominated by men. Her writing is slightly old fashioned now. You know, I think one of the things I've said before is she often comments on like the appearance of the women, like r- rather than focusing on other aspects of them. But she's still an amazing author. And, and I don't know anything about this case. I just bought it on a whim. So, yeah, how ironic is You're that? You're going to love it. Gemma, I've driven up and down the I-5 a million times. I'm not That's the it. I-5 killer, but I've driven on that road a lot. Yeah, a number of times. And it's killer, um... James P. Ravenhill. Hey, Dr. <laughs> James P. Ravenhill. No. Uh, okay, guys. So the next, so we've uh, the next murder was the murder of Shirley Vian. Uh, this is three years on or two years on from um, the uh, Bright murder, Catherine Bright murder, on seventeenth of March, seventy-seven. Murder of three. Shirley Vian finds a man in her house after her son led him there, under the pretext that he was a private detective looking for a particular woman who was actually his wife. So he came across this boy in the street. It was a chance encounter. He said, oh, this is, have you seen this woman? Uh, She said, no, the little boy said, no. He said, well, um, let me, take me back to your house and I'll ask your mom to see if she's seen him. Shirley is told by this man that he has a sexual dysfunction and that tying her up is the only way he can achieve gratification. So Shirley, basically he's so manipulative, he convinces women to comply to his demands or to his instructions and then says, look, if you just do this, I'm going to rape you, but then you're going to live. Yeah. So, of course, uh, you know, the the women are desperate that, uh, you know, in this case, uh, Shirley's children are in the house. Uh, Shirley helps him put her children in the bathroom with toys and a blanket, which is just, oh, my God. He binds her wrists and ankles and he strangles her. And the children watch what's happening through a gap in the door. The only reason he doesn't kill the children is because the phone rings and it startles him and he leaves the house. Oh, gosh. So the kids are still alive. But again, three extraordinarily traumatized children. Oh, my God. Do you know what? I can't get over the the manipulation and the, the, the power, the control. Um, and just to convince that lad to bring him back to the house. That, that's a whole new level of manipulation. 
Next is Nancy Fox. She's murdered later on in 1977, 8th of December 1977, 25-year-old Nancy Fox. Nancy Fox, who's um, who, unbeknownst to her, has been under surveillance for months. Find a man, finds a man in her house. So there's a, a definite modus operandi here. Um, there's stalking of victims, surveillance of victims, becoming familiar with routines, etc. So choosing the right time to strike, right time in inverted commas. Nancy is handcuffed and laid face down on her bed. She's then strangled with her own nylon stocking. After she's dead, he masturbates over the body and his memento from that evening is her driver's license. So he steals the driver's license. So he takes these kind of trophies and you find this with sexual uh, sadistic killers, sexual sadists, they take trophies so they can relive the excitement that they experienced during the murder later on. Um, Yeah. They're almost proud of it. They're proud to have that collection of things. I think in my case, James would have had a collection of um, undergarments. It would have been something like that that he would have collected had if he continued. Like in the fall, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why people write these characters, yeah? These characters are based, you know, to an extent on real-life cases. Um, the next murder is the murder of Marine Hedge. She's 53 years old. Uh, so the killer, this monster, um, well, do you know what? I'm calling him a monster. He was just a really plain, boring man who was a sexual fucking sadist. So you know, maybe calling him a monster is doing giving him uh, too much kudos in a way. I think he'd quite like that, to be honest. Yeah, so let's. I'm going to avoid that, yeah. But he'd realised that by targeting older women, um, he, uh, you know, older women would put up less of a fight, etc. So he went after 53-year-old Marine, he- uh, Marine Hedge, who lived on the same road as her killer for 30 years. They, had, they were neighbours for 30 years. Um, this was a gap. This was April 27th, 1985. So this is like seven years or so after the last murder. Um, obviously, he's got those mementos, so he's able to kind of go quiet and use the mementos, the trophies, to help him relive those uh, those crimes. On April the 27th, 1985, Marine Hedge's phone line is cut and someone enters her house and hides in her bedroom while no one is home. Marine arrives home with a male friend. The male friend leaves at around 1am. Marine heads to bed and once she's asleep, this fucking psychopath jumps on her and strangles her in her bed. Marine's but you know, the sa- it's your safe place. Your bed is your safe place. Marine's body is taken um, to the killer's church basement, photographed, then moved to a dump site not far from her home. Uh, this is now the next murder, the murder of Vicky Wegerly unknown to 28-year-old Vicky Wegerly, by September 1986, she was on the radar of this serial killer terrorizing Wichita, Kansas. He would walk by her house during the day and listen to her piano playing. At 10 a.m. on the 16th of September 1986, Vicky opened her front door to a telephone repairman who she let in thinking he was fixing her line. Instead, he cut her line, withdrew a gun, And Vicky was forced into the bedroom, tied up and strangled with a rope. 
uh, Vicky was alive when her husband came home shortly after. And get this, Vicky's husband, Bill, was driving home towards the house and saw somebody driving Vicky's car in the opposite direction. It was her killer. Her husband got home literally, you know, minutes after the killer had left um, and he'd seen her car being driven away and obviously was really confused. Vicky she was, was alive. alive. She was alive when he got home, but she died when she got to hospital. Oh. It's just truly horrible. It's, um, it's, I, yeah, I just find it frightening. It's just... To not know that you've got someone who's been watching you for, in some cases, weeks. I think this is why these murders that, you know, people talk about kind of, well, literally there's a podcast called My Favourite Murder, yeah? You know, and people talk about the murders that have really stuck with them and we we present them on this podcast. Yeah. And there's a reason we don't do the big serial killers, I think. I think we don't do the, well, I, I personally don't want to do the big serial killers because there's so much already out there and yeah. we know their names and we don't know their victims' names. I, people like Anne Rule, do, uh, they try and change that. Yeah. And I just, I didn't want to do these murders. I didn't want to do this murderer, even though it is my favourite these are my favorite in inverted commas murders because they're the ones that stuck with me when I was a baby bunny myself. Yeah. You know, in the early nineties, this, this is what I was, I was reading up about this and finding out about this and watching TV shows about this. I probably shouldn't have been, but I was, and they stuck with me. And I just think that it, as I said earlier, you know, this taps into everything that we're afraid of. Yeah. Being watched, being surveilled, feeling unsafe in your home, that moment when you're home alone and you hear a noise in your house or somebody walks past your window or somebody knocks on your door. I have to say, guys, and I'm really, I mean this, right? If somebody knocks on my front door and it's dark and I'm not expecting people, I'm like, you need to go away. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I will not open my door to people because I'm like, this is my home. So I'm not expecting you. So yeah. if it's important, you'll find an alternative means of contacting me. And I'm not, I'm honestly not exaggerating. Um, let me tell you. So the next, uh, and yeah. uh, the next murder is murder of Dolores Davis. Dolores Davis lived just 1.5 miles away from her killer. She was 62 when she was murdered. You should see this woman. Oh my God, she's everyone's nan, glamorous nan, when you're like 15. She's, you know, beautiful, you know, so well-dressed and lovely and warm and looks so, I mean, I know it doesn't matter what people look like, but it's just that you just know she's gonna be the sweetest woman. On January the 19th, 1991, sleeping 62-year-old Dolores was woken by the sound of breaking glass. She got up to investigate and finds uh, and found an unknown man in her house. He pretended he was going to rob her like he had done with other victims. Uh, she was tied up and strangled. Her body was moved to a lake and then again moved um, to under a bridge. And I just want to point out as I said, I'm not going to go on about this killer. You know this story. You can Google him if you really want to. But he was a scout leader. And to commit the murders of Maureen uh, and Dolores and possibly Vicky, actually, he left scout meetings. So he was with little boys going off to commit these murders. And then he would go back 
to the scout meetings. That is the level of psychopathy. That is the level of evil that you're content that we're contending with. Okay, folks. So I, as I said, I'm not going to talk about the um, killer, uh, but I am going to talk about how he was apprehended. So in October 1974, Dennis Rader, normal, boring, you know, pathetic man, Dennis Rader, writes a letter intended for the newspaper, the Wichita Eagle Beacon. So this is, uh, remember, that October 74 is not long after the Otero murders, the family that he killed. So he hides the letter in a library book, calls up a reporter and tells him where the letter can be found. And the letter claims responsibility for the Otero murders of uh, Joseph Senior, Julie, Joseph Junior and Josephine. It, uh, the, uh, the, he blames it on, um, on a monster living in the murderer's mind. Oh, I definitely shouldn't have called him a monster then because he said, that the killer was a monster and he signs the letter btk which is bind them torture them kill them um december 1977 after nancy's murder dennis rader calls the local police department from a public phone box stating that they would find a homicide at 843 south pershing which was nancy fox's address he leaves the receiver hanging um, the police, uh, they obviously find Nancy at that address. They play the recording over and over, but no suspects emerge. That's in 1977, right? We weren't even born in 1977, right? In, in early 1978, Radar sends a poem and a letter to the Wichita Eagle, the newspaper, taking responsibility for Shirley Vine's number, uh, number, Shirley Vine's murder, I'm sorry, and all the prior murders. And um, he also sends another letter mocking the death of Nancy. Um, actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but it was it was his communication that ended up uh, being the reason that he was caught. BTK goes silent after Dolores Davis. Sorry, uh, the man that, who calls himself BTK goes silent after the murder of Dolores da Davis. So in, between 1991 and 2004, there is no new murders, no communication in 13 years. On the 30th anniversary of the Otero murders, so what's that gonna be like? Yeah, 2004, yeah, 2004. I was 23 for Christ's sake. I mean, this is crazy. Wasn't even born when they were murdered. 30 years later, the Wichita Eagle runs an article on the murders and somebody writes a book about these killings. Dennis Rader is really angry because he feels like this is his story to tell, not some journalist's story. On March the uh, 17th, nine, uh, 2004, Dennis Rader writes to a newspaper and he signs the letter, Bill Thomas Kilman, BTK, which is just like, that's not even good. And he encloses pictures of Vicky Wegeler's body and her driver's license. So actually, I didn't say this at the time, when Vicky Wegerly was murdered, they didn't attribute the murder to BTK, to, the, to this man, to Dennis Rader. It's only at this point that people are like, yes, okay, Vicky Wegerly is one of this man's murders, uh, yeah, victims. On May the 5th, 2004, Rader sends a word puzzle to K-A-K-E-T-V, K-A-K-E-T-V, and I'm like, uh, you're not effing Zodiac? Like, don't send word puzzles. I was just going to say that. Is that who you think he is? Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. It's 
it's this he's he's oh, he's trying to be something isn't he and and you know this is what he's pathetic no one's talking about him he's attention seeking um etc on june the 9th um but as i say it will it ends up being his undoing mm. on june the 9th 2004 uh dennis raider leaves a package taped to a sign with a gruesome description of the otero murders and a sketch of a body hanging by a rope june the 17th 2004 the a letter labelled BTK is found again at the Wichita Public Library, threatening more murders. The commencement, the recommencement of the murders on October the twenty second, two thousand and four, a collage of pictures of children with bindings drawn across their bodies and faces is found by a UPS delivery driver. Um, and this letter, this kind of document, also contains incorrect autobiographical information about Dennis Rader. Next, Rader leaves a special K cereal box labelled BTK and Bomb in the back of a pickup truck. Uh, it contains details of women he's been stalking and it contains a question directed to the police. Quote, if I make a floppy disk, can you trace it back to the computer that made it? Now, guys listening, you might not know what a floppy disk is. Google it. It's a black square disk that uh, we used to use uh, to carry documents around. In fact, that's how I did all my undergrad assignments were on floppy disk. And then I'm not lying to you. The number of times I got zero for assignments because my floppy disks got corrupted. And just like is the case now, if uh, tech issues are never reasons for failing to submit. So, oh my um, God, floppy disks. Just be happy you don't have floppy disks. When I tell people that um, when I went to university, there were no online journal articles. You actually had to go to libraries and get the journals and photocopy the articles. They can't believe it. Floppy no. disks are a relic of a different time. Uh, the problem with floppy disks as well, you I'd never give them a proper name. I wouldn't like write a label on them. So then trying to find, <laughs> oh God, we're so old, James. <laughs> Oh, God, tell me about it. Do you know what, though? We're younger than loads of other people, so we're, we're, one of, we're, young, we're very young in our department, I think, aren't we? Oh, yeah, we're younger than, like, dinosaurs. Actual dinosaurs or people? people actual dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're younger than dinosaurs, yeah. Oh, no, we are. We're, we're definitely in the young crew. I think so. Our, well, it's, all, it's all a state of mind anyway, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm 21. I'm about 82 today. <laughs> Normally, I, I normally feel like I'm in my, yeah. I think my favourite year was, I just think when I was 32, I was so, 32 was just great because I feel like I was old enough, I was in my 30s, so I felt all like, yeah, I'm grown up now. And so, I, but also I'm still like got the remnants of my 20s. I don't know. Maybe, I, I actually think it gets better every year, to be fair. My 30s, my 30s that year was brilliant. That's when me and Pete went um, traveling around America. It was amazing. Oh my God, it was so much fun. And now I can't even travel to the next town. <laughs> no, it's gonna be a while before we'll be in America. Oh, anyway, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna take yeah. us back to America right now because we're nearly there. Um, yes, he asked this question. If I make a floppy disk, can you trace it back to the computer that made it? And the police make a public reply. 
No, it's impossible to track, to trace a floppy disk to a computer. So on January the 25th, 2005, BTK leaves another cereal box with a doll inside, rope around its neck, tied to a pipe like Josephine Otero. Just realised they're calling BTK. It's so annoying. Don't want to call him that. On February the 3rd, 2005, he sent a postcard to a newspaper saying a floppy disk will soon be sent. 13 days later, a floppy disk is received by a news station and they hand it to the police. The floppy disk has been made at the Christ Lutheran Church by a man called Dennis. Because of course, the police lied when they said you can't trace a floppy disk. Of course you can trace a floppy disk to where it was made. So they look up the church and the church president is none other than Dennis Rader. Police ask Raider's daughter, Kerry, who recently released a book, but apparently it's all about religion, so I don't really want to read it, for a DNA sample for medical records. And uh, they matched Kerry's DNA to Radar's semen sample from back in the day. They got a I know, it's disgusting. They got a match. On the 25th of February, 2005, Radar is arrested at traffic lights after he ate his lunch at work. He was driving somewhere and they arrested him. He was so, such a narcissist. He spent hours and hours confessing. He seemed genuinely upset that the police had lied to him about the computer disk information. It took him some time to realize that he was being played by the police and eventually he stopped cooperated, cooperating. Um, it was discovered that at the time of his arrest, he was preparing to execute his plans to kill more victims. They were just in time to stop further kills. But police won't reveal the names of the women on his list. So out there in Wichita, Kansas, are women who he was about to kill. And they were saved by... They were saved by um, police work, but also the utter stupidity of uh, their would-be killer. Uh, fittingly for the media-savvy Dennis Rader, his first court appearance um, was via video link on 1st of March 2005. He pled not guilty in May to the 10 murders and, just like Ted Bundy, he said, I will represent myself in court. There we go. I didn't know that. Yeah like these narcissists do, where they think, of course I'm going to charm everyone. Of course everyone will believe me. Who can think that I'm lying? In June 2005, Raider changes his plea to guilty. And in July uh, the 26th, 2005, Raider's wife ends their marriage. I mean, the poor wife. There's an entire... Um, there's an, I can't even bring this in right now. Guys, you can Google what the wife went, went through. Um, there was loads of evidence that Dennis was the killer, but why would it be him? You know, he was just a suburban family man. Um, what was his role in the church again? He was the church president. He was really high up in the local church. Oh, my God. I know. I mean, oh, my God. Yeah, literally. Um, the judge sentenced Raider to 175 years. He is currently in the El Dorado Correctional Facility. I guess in Kansas and the victims, including the Otero family, Catherine Bright, Shirley Vian, Nancy Fox, Maureen Hedge, 
Vicky Wegley, Dolores Davis, Kevin Bright, the man who was shot, and all of the family members and all of the people who knew those people finally have justice. And that are that is the story of the truly horrific and terrifying murders of I'm going to say them their names one more time the Otero family Catherine Bright Shirley V and Nancy Fox Maureen Hedge Vicky Wegley and Dolores Davis do you know what I think we should dedicate this podcast to them genuinely did you, did you know a single one of their names no I know I knew the, the last name of the first family that was it um didn't know their names Let's dedicate this to them and also to Sierra. There's been. Let's do it, and I think we should leave. Oh, should we do one quick good thing before we go? Oh, I'm like, oh my god, is there is there anything? We um... need it, Gemma. That was a really hard one, guys. That was a heavy one. Oh, do you know what? I got nothing but pure respect that you focused on the victims, and it rarely happens. Um... Oh god, why can't I think? Yeah, okay, I've got something. So my niece, who is incredible, she is five years old today. Yeah. Happy birthday. What's her name? Delilah. Delilah, if you're listening, please turn this off. It's not suitable for young yeah. people. Christ, no, no chance. So obviously because of the lockdown and stuff, it's been difficult. They're up in Leicester. Um, and my sister-in-law, uh, Jennifer, Pete's, Pete's sister, is a surprise after school on Wednesday. Um, so this was obviously before lockdown. This was the last chance saloon. Um, this is an incredible story. So she got in touch. So obviously all the cruise ships have stopped, yeah? And there is a Disney cruise ship. And so all of the characters are out of work. So what they're doing is they're saying, you know, if you want us to come to a party or anything, you can pay for them um, to be there. So she paid for um, Elsa and Anna from Frozen, who usually do the, the stuff on the, the tour ship. They were stood in the garden waiting for Delilah when she came home from school and they filmed the whole thing. I was almost in tears because her little face and they um, they spoke to her and they sang, they were amazing singers. And for me, it was just like, it was like the last chance because they were supposed to come on our birthday today, but lockdown. And so Jennifer just made sure they were in the garden waiting for her and her face just lit up. She was in her element. So that that's a nice thing that's a nice story so happy birthday to my niece i love you and i'm actually facetiming her after this so that's absolutely lovely and uh i think yeah that's uh what a what a lovely positive thing you know the joy of a child seeing their hero um is exactly. absolutely lovely uh my positive thing is um that i'm i'm really appreciative that i've managed to get some sun this week so the wind has dropped, the rain has stopped. I spent an hour or more, an hour and a half on on Wednesday on a terrace on the beach down uh, near where I live uh, with a friend, just drinking up the sun. And it was every neuron inside my head. And I'm really thankful for winter sun. It's so important. Yeah. I have not been outside today because I was working from eight o'clock until now. I didn't have a break, sadly, today. So I haven't even had lunch today. I was all the way through. Oh, so James. I haven't had any sunshine today, which is why I'm falling over my words. But tomorrow's going to be a sunny day. I intend on getting out there and enjoying it. All right, then, Gemma, let's um, call it a day. But it was so nice to see you. And you. And it's lovely to be back doing what we love. I, <laughs> I love that. 
True crime lockdown in lockdown. <laughs> and yeah, we're back. True crime lockdown in lockdown. And these um, the cases are going to stay with us, I think. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. Stay safe.